Hey guys, and welcome to the Stay in the Game podcast. This is Cassidy here. I am your co-host for today, and we are still joined by Trevor. How are you doing today, Trevor? You're always joined by me. I'm generally the one running these things, so there's uh, been a time or two you've jumped in, and uh, I've, I've really liked having the uh, ability to take your perspective and ask these questions that I don't generally think of. Like I, I go kind of top of mind, have my own thought on it, but I think... Uh, from your perspective, it gives uh, just a little di- different insight into kind of the world of physical therapy from a patient's perspective, from the non, uh, non-PT clinician's perspective. So I think uh, it's always good to have one of these from time to time. Yeah, for sure. I definitely feel like sometimes, Trevor, you are too smart for your own good. You got to bring it down to earth. You got to put it in layman's terms for everyone. And that's what I'm here to do. So just to kind of introduce you guys a little bit, you guys should already know our host, Trevor Field. He is our physical therapist. He's our owner. He is the podcast host, the um, online sensation. Um, and then there's me. I am Cassidy. I am the clinics operations manager. I also edit and produce this podcast alongside Trevor. And I'm also a Pilates instructor. So I have a little bit of a foundation of what it looks like to move well, but definitely not the science background that Trevor has. So when we have conversations, um, it's always easy It or it's so nice to have his perspective to kind of make sense some of the things that I see in my day-to-day with my clients and with our patients um, and just kind of bring it all full circle. So today that's kind of going to be the center of our podcast. I have through, you know, working with different patients, just come upon certain things that I've seen and it's kind of sparked the question in my mind, like, okay, but why is that? But why? So that's maybe what we can title this podcast is just, but why? But why is it like that? But why is that happening? Um, And I think so much of that understanding for patients is so powerful um, because if you can understand why, maybe you can understand how you got yourself into that um, scenario in the first place, whether that be a pain or injury, lifestyle choice, and you can prevent it from happening and move through your life and with a little bit more ease and um, and love for just a day-to-day life. Everyone, no one wants to be stuck in pain um, and not being able to live their life to the fullest. So we're going to have a few different kind of discussion topics and questions surrounding that, as well as I always am sending you like YouTube videos, Instagram reels of like these crazy people online. And I'm just like, hey, what do you think about this? Because, you know, if you guys don't know Trevor or if you do know him, you know, his word is gold. Like I trust anything this man says. Um, he's not only my boss, but I also just I, if he says it's right, it's right. And if he says it's wrong, it's wrong. Um, I just I don't deviate from that. And it has never steered me wrong in uh, my life. So I'm just going with it. I'm going with what works. So before we start jumping into some of those topics, Trevor, kind of wanted to um, just let us know what's happening in the clinic right now. Like what's what's good, what's going on in your life. Um, We're in December. I can't believe it's the end of 2023. I just got used to typing that and writing it down 2023. And now we have to switch it all up again. But um, tell us a little bit about what's uh, what's going on. What's good? Well, I mean, December, end of year, it's always a moment for us to look back to see what we've done in the year, um, potentially set some goals for the new year. I mean, we always we always set these high expectations to to rip out all of this content, all of these podcasts, all of these things. And you know what? Life at times gets in the way. And that's a good thing to me because it tells me, 
hey, the clinic's popping. My needs are are kind of pulled in all directions. So definitely it's been, uh, you know, a, a solid year of of work clinically in the office, helping people get the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, definitely this year, uh, once again, a, a rededication to get content out to people who need to hear more about the uh, the physical therapy aspects from the patient's side of things to understand what they may be going through, what uh, some of the advice that they've been given, why that may not be the best direction to go. So for me, it's it's always, this is the moment where, man, I look back and say, how many podcasts did I get out? How much content did we produce? How much did we uh, really get the message out to our clientele? And, and again, you know, I think we did a great job. I think we got good information out to people, but I think we need to redouble our efforts really get uh, uh, more of this information that's just stuck here. And instead of just being on that that one-off client-by-client basis, face-to-face, get out into the community, get on these uh, podcasts a bit more, get out in the, the YouTube platforms and, and get the, the masses a bit more educated with proper information rather than the stuff that we may be looking at a little later into uh, this episode. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with you there. I think we only put out a total, a whopping total of four podcasts this year, but they were good podcasts. We had um, a guest on our very last one. It was about golf. And you know, we had fun at the end of the day with it when we did our golf content. We got out to the golf driving range. We were on the putting um, green. And so we had a lot of fun doing it. Don't know, no, no regrets there. Um, it was super fun, but definitely this year we got to, we got to get on the driving range more. Maybe we can get into some batting cage. I know baseball is our thing. We have a lot of baseball clients. Who knows what we, we got to hit, um, got in store for us. I'm thinking about running a marathon now. I'm going to, maybe I run the LA marathon and like document my PT and journey with that. So a lot of exciting things. We're definitely going to keep up with more content. Um, that's a goal for 2024, but, um, all right. Like any, uh, and then also you might want to tell um, the, the listeners a big thing that happened for you recently. I think you got a boat. Yeah, that's right. So uh, growing up in Minnesota, I just was surrounded by lakes. And this was the first year in a very long while. I wasn't able to get home and uh, get on the family fishing boat. So uh, the itch, it, it it got to a point where there was no way I couldn't have a boat here to have access to uh, some of the waters here locally. So uh, I've been out uh, just a few times, uh, even just over this last weekend and got that thing christened. Uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a great year of being on the water. Hopefully it doesn't pull me away too much from actually producing some of this content. I have, uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to create a little more balance in, uh, in my life between the recreation and, uh, and getting all these things produced for you guys. But, uh, no, I, I'm looking forward to being on the water as much as, uh, uh humanly possible. Maybe you just become the, um, fisherman PT, like the, the fisher PT. If there's like, I don't know if there's a niche for it, but like, you know, maybe they're like leaning over too much. They have bad posture or whatever. Maybe that's like how you can meld the two worlds together. Um, yeah, I don't think it'll necessarily be like advice for fishermen that need uh, physical therapy, but I, you know, I could certainly set up the camera and just uh, go on some rants here about the, the physical therapy profession and certain kind of conditions that we need to talk about. Who's to say if you don't have Wi-Fi, you can't record this podcast from a boat in the um, in a in the middle of a lake? There's yeah, Wi-Fi. I mean, Anything's possible. Exactly. We can always cut out where uh, I actually hook into a fish and my excited little grunts and moans and yells. We can just uh, edit that out. Yeah. All right. So um, jumping into my first question here. So I mentioned before I'm a Pilates instructor. One of the big things in Pilates is posture and using posture to assess someone's um, 
I guess, kind of to assess their risk for injury, um, Mm -hmm. risk for future pain. And I, my question to you is how important is having quote unquote good posture? Is it just aesthetic or does it actually correlate to someone moving well and being able to have like that injury prevention? Does it cause low back pain? Does it matter? It matters to some degree. Um, there's some certain specifics that you want to look for. I mean, definitely the aesthetic side is one thing because I mean, how you carry yourself, your, your, you know, it's going to affect your psyche in general, but in terms of the the musculoskeletal side of things, if I'm kyphotic, if I have a big rounded posture, if I'm forward flexed, truly what I'm doing is I'm picking up slack in my nervous system, and now I'm vulnerable to you know certain other types of movements that may cause extra stress that are going to lead me to some, to some pain. So one, as if I get to a point of bad posture, staring at laptops, doing too many podcasts, being in a chair too long, commuting. Otherwise, if I start to fatigue and my shoulders begin to round forward, I'm lengthening out those postural muscles in the posterior part of my upper back. Those guys get incredibly weak. The front of the shoulders and pecs get incredibly tight. My ability to reach overhead is going to be limited. So now if I have to, uh, you know, being December, hang the Christmas lights. If I have to get up into the top of those racks in the garage to pull down all my Christmas decorations, the likelihood of biceps tendon issues or impingement issues in the rotator cuff, they start to increase. So if you're always like, man, I can't do these overhead activities, it starts from, well, man, uh, there's capacity and capability. If I don't have the capability to get into the proper um, structural position, then I'm going to be vulnerable to injury in my tendon. And you can kind of, uh, I try to keep that as close to a, a reasonable analogy as possible, but there's dozens and dozens of ways that uh, posture can definitely affect all of these things. So these sitting postures, so I'll go down to a lower body example. Lower body wise, if I'm sitting too much, what muscle groups shorten? It's the hip flexors, the front of the joint. And so now when I'm standing and moving around, if those hip flexors are tight, it's actually gonna bowstring and put compressive forces on my lower back. So now if I stand, run, squat, do anything else, if I go to the gym, but I, I constantly am sitting, and I've never addressed this issue, one, it's gonna create that uh, abnormal kind of bowing or excessive lordosis or excessive curvature in the lower back. It's gonna cause havoc with all of your activities. So incredibly important to get a lot of these issues addressed. And I mean, the first thing we do when we're gonna assess a patient, you just have to do a visual inspection of just their their structure and their posture. So truly uh, in looking at horses, they call it confirmation. So the confirmation of how the body is put together, you're looking at these things to to figure out, all right, if I see these things, I can assume one or two or three other of these issues may have to be addressed to solve this person's problem completely. So we can go ahead and attack the symptoms, attack the structure, solve the the tendon problem through hands-on manual therapy, cupping, uh, laser, PEMF, and we can get those symptoms under control. But if I never address the underlying root cause issue, then we're going to deal with a recurring problem and something that could be getting worse in the background, leading to a tear later, a surgery, injections. Those are the things that we want to avoid. So to solve it and solve it correctly, all of it has to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So I definitely see that is very individual in your approach to PT versus like other clinics or other movement practitioners is like you see an injury and you want to focus on just that one area. So I think that what kind of really makes you you and your approach yours is that you really take a very holistic approach about like looking at the body and how we're moving, Um, because it sounds like there's not a single structure that is going to operate 
as an island, basically, right? Of course. I mean, everything functions together. So for me, it's kind of odd to deal with a hip or lower back problem by only addressing the hip or lower back or dealing with just a shoulder problem by saying, oh, we need to strengthen the rotator cuff and do a bunch of band exercises or just do a bunch of retraction exercises to build some posture. The first muscle that turns on when you reach your arm overhead is transversus abdominis. This is a core muscle in your abdomen. If these mm -hmm. muscles aren't functioning well, there's no way I can do overhead activity safely because I don't have the structural stability in the center of my body for me to do any of these activities later. So, I mean, it's a mistake I see frequently and it's an issue that I see when people have failed physical therapy elsewhere. It's just so much was not addressed. They're, they're just so focused at dealing with the symptom problem. Uh, well, for instance, I mean, not to kind of uh, bag on kind of podiatrists, but generally no, speaking- No, bag on podiatrists. Those are weird people. They like feet. <laughs> I don't know that they like them, but you know, it becomes the job. Generally speaking, very few podiatrists look anywhere close to above the knee to identify where this dysfunction is coming from that's actually caused the problem. They're constantly trying to fix problems from the problem end and not the cause. So Yeah. I mean, that must really frustrate when you frustrate you when you see a lot of this content that's being put out there on like fitness instructors where they're just fitness instructor movement practitioners. They could also be PTs where they're just like the number one exercise for your to get rid of like hip pain. And then it's like a hip stretch. And you're like, OK, but that problem is like, yes, that's very clickbaity. But the problem is like so much deeper than that and could not be. There's really not truly a video in the world that will probably solve your problem just like that. Like you might be able to try it and maybe. Maybe if it, it helps you, it helps you great. But it's kind of just like you're just tossing things on the wall and seeing what sticks. Um, one thing that you kind of mentioned is like the transverse abdominis. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because in Pilates, that is such a big foundation. Like that is when if I were to explain just like one thing that Pilates is, and if I could only give one thing, I'd be like, it's it's core activation, it's core strengthening, because that is like the foundation of most of all of the movements. It's you're doing footwork, you're doing arm work, but it's you're never not going to be able to pay attention to what your core is doing. And they're, we're, they're always talking about your TVA. So why is that? I mean, to me, um, that's life. For us, we don't do exercises in isolation. I mean, if you're a bodybuilder, that may be something you want to do to try to uh, hypertrophy an individual muscle group for the aesthetic of it. But in terms of function, like, as I mentioned, if I raise my arm, my core has to activate. I have to have stability. So um, for us, when we're providing exercises to our clients, I mean, we've coined the term kind of multifunctional movement. We have to not just do this one particular movement and expect that it's going to carry over to five, six, seven, eight things, we need to be able to activate not only transversus abdominis while we have arm movement or transversus abdominis while we're working uh, lower body, uh, hip and, and below uh, structures. So if we don't do these things, the, the sheer ineffectiveness of, of the exercise, it's a massive time waster. So what I tend to see is a lot of practitioners give just mass amounts of exercise. And when I see what it is that they're doing, uh, uh, you mentioned just throwing things against the wall and see if it sticks. Truly, it's it's more of a general conditioning. So go to the gym, 
go do a circuit training exercise. It's probably going to be as effective as what you're getting with a professional. And uh, man, I use that term loosely. I mean, they're a licensed practitioner, but at that point, you're just truly not a professional in what it is that we do if you're not taking into account all of these things that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it really is so many different things taking into account. I think that um, one thing that I've kind of like opened my eyes up when we were talking about um, like kind of things that we're seeing in Pilates is like how much like even foot placement and where you're like pressing into your toes on different exercises makes a difference in your posture and how you stand. Um, it's just like, how can something that is far away from the injury problem or symptom actually be the cause um, of what you're, you're feeling? Can, can you talk, can you give us an example like that? So like I'm using, like, um, I had a client the other day where I was telling her you need to like, and I don't even, I don't have the science background about like why this helped her, but she's doing footwork on the reformer. So she's pressing her feet. It's basically you're lying down on this sliding carriage that moves in and out. It's kind of like the horizontal version of a squat. And I'm telling her to press into her toes and cause her foot's kind of like everting and inverting and supinating pronating. And I'm just like, press into your toes. That's going to help you push out. And the next time she comes back to me and she says, wow, Cassie, like that really helped me in my gait cycle when I was walking and I was able to evenly distribute like weight and it helped out with my hip pain. And I was just like, that's amazing. I have no idea why, because I'm not a physical therapist, but I definitely want to know why. Can you give me an example? Like, how did that all connect? Cause like, I'm thinking here, how does even like, like how you have your feet, how you have your toes even affect the way that something can feel way up the chain? Well, if you think about every time you take a step, how our foot interfaces with the ground, my outside of my foot hits the ground first. And so mm -hmm. when I start to hit the ground, I will start to turn and flatten the arch. That's how we shock absorb. We get into a bit of pronation of the foot. And then once we start to begin to push off the toe, as that stress goes to the forefoot and you begin to push off toes, we start to resupinate because that's going to create a rigid lever for us to be able to push off and, and take that next step. So for us, you might be dealing with somebody who's struggled with a whole lot of um, pronation or collapse of the foot because the hips, the core, all of these structures up the chain have not been doing their job. The cue is really to get this person into their forefoot, cause them to supinate, create that stability pattern, and potentially cause some neurological change or activation of things up the chain. So, I mean, some of this is neurological education, for sure. Um, is that something that is probably a, a permanent change for this person? Not necessarily, but it can be the first step in uh, a lot of sequence of things that can help this person have the, the total outcome of not dealing with the kind of issues that she was dealing with. So, I mean, for me, a lot of these, even 20 years into my career, for me, I always pre-test, post-test. Like I, I myself as a clinician, I'm not a finished product. I'm still identifying certain patterns and figuring out and experimenting with different types of treatments or sequence of treatments or rep sets, hold times, types of exercises to see if we can't kind of sharpen this uh, knife to be able to really perform a, a really specific uh, activity to just give you the perfect outcome. That's really what we're looking for is how can I make a bigger impact for this patient as fast as possible? Yeah. And I will say I can actually speak to that. So I'm actually going to, this kind of brings me into something I wanted to talk about yesterday. 
Um, I was having some knee and hip pain and I, you know, me, I'm pretty healthy. I don't really have a lot of pain. I'm very active, but I had been running a lot on the weekend. I put some weights on my ankles, trying something new, came in and I was like, Hey Trevor, I desperately need your help today. Like I, um, this, I was sitting down and I'm working in the office. I'm like my knee and my, my hip is killing me. My glutes are hurting. I want you to actually talk about how your assessment, because your pre-test and post-test, it's literally like magic. And I'm sure you have clients that tell you the same thing. They're just like, what? Like I had no idea. Cause I'm sitting there on the table and I'm like, why the heck is my left side so weak? You're like, hold me or don't, uh, don't let me push you down. My legs just collapsing right down into me. And I'm like, what the heck? I thought I'm stronger than this. Like I can't even call myself athletic if I can't even hold my leg up. And then, then at the end of it, it's so much different in the, in the matter of what was that? Maybe, maybe 10 minutes, maybe even five, I would guess. So how to walk us through that process that you're, that you were doing yesterday. Um, and maybe, I don't know if it's helpful to kind of talk about like my symptoms or where I was feeling my pain, but, um, I'd kind of like you to go through your assessment process with that just yesterday. Well, there's kind of, I'll, I'll keep it as general as possible because a lot of people have very similar patterns. Uh, regardless of where their symptomology is. So you could be coming in with hip or back or ankle or shin or really thigh, groin or otherwise. If we're dealing with any kind of pain, your body has a very predictable response to pain. So just think about if you were walking and you stepped on something sharp, there's going to be a withdrawal response. You hit it and you just retract from that kind of insult, that pain, that, that stimulus, right? So what muscle groups are going to activate to pull you into that safety. It's going to be a lot of hip flexor because I have to raise my leg very quickly. There's going to be, well, secondarily, anytime there's pain, we think about also a, a reflex that your body gets into. If somebody comes up behind you and startles you, the same muscles are going to fire. Hip flexors, I'm going to lower myself to the ground, my pecs, my traps. I'm going to pull those elbows into my side to kind of protect my internal organs. I'm going to adduct and protect my genitalia. I'm going to, uh, all of these muscle groups all together are going to contract. So now, if I know I physically symptomatically have some pain, there's likely going to be some uh, measure of that going on into your body. So if I know what the result of some of these uh, muscle contractions are going to lead to, then I can start poking around and identifying if I release or if I uh, solve some of these issues, I can make a very instantaneous change in your symptom pattern. So for me, the easiest thing to do was do what we did with you is do a quick little muscle test. So I had you try to hold your ankle up and we resisted, it buckled. I had you lift your leg when you're laying on your side to test your hip strength, it buckled. Well, is it truly that you were weak or is this muscle group not communicating with these muscles to turn them on to stay engaged? 99.9% .9 of the time, it's truly inhibited because of pain. That hip flexor withdrawing can be in a little bit of spasm or shortening what that will do is because those muscle groups actually cross the lumbar spine, that irritation can irritate the nerve and actually cause this weakness. So all we did was a simple rotational movement in the spine to gap and give space to the nerve and retested. Did anything change? Yeah, absolutely. It got markedly better. It was basically back to, I don't know, how close to normal would you say? Like 80, 90%. Yeah. So for me, it's like, all right, now we know there's actually an issue here dealing with the hip flexor being tight, affecting the lower back and the nerves that feed this entire chain. So if we can begin to solve that, now we can get into some of these other structures that may be involved. So, I mean, it, probably a little complex uh, of a 
thought process. And truly, it's not anything that I learned through any level of education, any continuing education course that I've ever taken. People are just the online kind of uh, trolls right now in the in the online space and the social media space are constantly just banging on, oh, we need all of this evidence-based medicine. Well, I'm going to tell you now, if you are just stuck in these four walls of evidence-based, the likelihood is you're not going to get a very powerful outcome for your patient because there isn't a lot of study, not a lot of information on the ways and the methods that we treat. What I do have is about 15,000 patients in my career that I've seen and just an obsession to find out and solve these types of puzzles. So um, that's why I wanna get on these kind of platforms and help share some of this information because it's it's a missing component in our field. And secondarily, our field is turned into nothing but just rote exercise protocols that really aren't helping anybody right now. Yeah, I, I can kind of speak to that too because I've um, in, the Pilates industry, there's kind of people do get stuck on this almost like this dogma of like how you have to do Pilates. And it's just like everyone's bought in on this same philosophy. And it's like, is this actually working for our patients or clients and their specific goals? So like one of the questions I had for you was like Pilates aims to target specific, very small group or smaller group of muscles than you would like normally use. And I'm and while I can speak to that, I love, I think as a, as a moving myself, you love to feel engagement in muscles that you have never have before that you just never typically use because a Pilates instructor is cueing you to move in a different way that your movement patterns just aren't trained to. And that's an exciting experience because you're fine. You're like discovering something in your body that you didn't normally have, but is that actually like from a physical therapy standpoint, like what, where's the benefit to that? Is it just great? You have more, um, mind body control and like, and that can make you a better mover. Cause I definitely have noticed that in myself, like that was a benefit of it. I don't necessarily feel like it made me stronger. I just feel like, oh, now I can connect with those muscle groups in a different way that I wasn't before. And that has made me, I'm better at surfing now. I'm better at skateboarding. I can do inversions in yoga. Like, because now I, I don't think I got stronger, but I think I was able to activate different muscles just because I had a, because of the practice of like finding the work and discovering it in my body. What can you, like, what's actually the science behind what's happening there? Well, I mean, there's a, a reasonably decent book from Thomas Hanna called uh, Somatics. And so uh, I, I would liken that to somatic education, understanding and and basically educating your body's movement patterns. So we talk about not necessarily strengthening, but activation. What you're describing is uh, isolating some of these accessory movement uh, muscles, not your prime mover muscles. So not these big uh, bicep, tricep, quads, hamstrings we're getting into or the superficial abdominal muscles, but those deep, small segment-to-segment yep. segment rotatory muscles of the of the spine, the multifidus muscles, some of these muscles that nobody's even heard of, most likely, um, when we start kind of describing and, and communicating what these muscle groups uh, are that we're really trying to isolate and, and activate, uh, per se, uh, strengthen, activate. There's a, a massive argument about these two words, but you know, we'll use them interchangeably for the, the purposes of this, unless we want to have a, an entire podcast. <laughs> uh, what is the activation? What is control? So, well, my question is, is like, 
is there a benefit to being able to have that type of activation or control or that like I think when Thomas Tana talks about like that's sensory motor amnesia. So if you have that awareness to know and you're able to connect to those muscles, is that beneficial to the body to to movers, not just to move well, but like to prevent injury? To is it make them stronger because maybe now they have more more different muscles to recruit for a specific movement? Because I can kind of I feel like that might be true. Like I do feel a little bit stronger because I'm now maybe I'm not just using my biceps. I'm using my core actually to make a movement that I was originally just doing with my biceps. Like I was muscling through it is a term that like as a plies instructor I would use. Yeah. I mean, for me, I would be careful about kind of that, that last little uh, um, sentence, but uh, to go back to the beginning, yes. Number one, you're going to be a whole lot more bulletproof. You're going to be a lot more durable, less likely to be injured um, when we're able to activate and have motor control of these systems if there's as you mentioned sensory motor amnesia the inability to move well i mean some pts have coined uh, motor morons they don't really necessarily you try to describe or educate somebody in a movement pattern and they cannot replicate it to save them save their lives they just they don't move well uh these are folks that if you're going to have high force high velocity type activities you're like guaranteed guaranteed injury you're looking at guaranteed injury uh, for me to get back to the uh, muscling through it kind of statement, um, the the thought process and some of the arguments online between activation and strengthening is the only way to kind of gain this strength is to increase load. But for me, if you're dealing with somebody who does not activate or engage a muscle group well, and then you add load, all we're really teaching is a poor motor behavior. You're reinforcing accessory muscles and not the primary muscle that you're trying to uh, gain strength in. So. And the, the true issue with a lot of what's happening in PT is that because a lot of these clinics have to become high volume clinics because of the, the nature of what insurance has forced a lot of these clinics to do, you're seeing aides, assistants, students, and volunteers scrub techs per se, be the person who's leading your exercise routine. And man, I cannot stress enough that that is not what you want to do because you need a movement professional who's going to be able to identify an imbalance, to identify an incorrect movement pattern, to be able to cue you into proper movement to get the outcome that you're looking for. Uh, more often than not, and I'll tell you, uh, people who have acute, subacute pain who end up going to PT, to a PT who's very exercise-based, they leave worse off than they, they walked in more often than not. Uh, I had wow. one just yesterday. I had one who was, um, you know, miserable motor vehicle accident. Um, vehicle was coming into uh, kind of a construction zone. Somebody swerved to miss some cones, hit him. He pulled off to the side into lane one, had the hazards on, and a, a three-quarter ton truck hit him at 70 miles an hour. Well, oh, no. the last thing we want to do is give the guy some weights and make him do some squats. So after one visit at uh, a place that will remain nameless that has uh, multiple uh, – PT practices all around the United States. Sounds like schmelect therapy. Um, Shoot down in the comments, guys, if you know which PT clinic this is. <laughs> Call them out so other people don't have to suffer. But it's like, oh my God, uh, how can you not just, let's start from the beginning. Like, the, yeah. you're dealing with, if you're going to give yourself, what is the sequence with which I want to 
interact with this patient. One, we have to control destructive forces. So we have to educate him in, in proper movement because we know all of his tissues have just been disrupted. We have to, A, apply appropriate forces. C-A-I-R is how we do it, the care principle. Control destructive forces, apply appropriate forces, then impose demanding forces. They jump straight to three. Yeah. And you can't expect to get better if we're skipping the steps of principles that cannot be uh, ignored. They can't. Yeah, that's honestly, okay, so that's one thing that I really appreciate about Pilates is that there's such a nice compliment to Pilates and PT because that is such a big foundation and principle with what I was taught. It's very much like, I think a lot of people sometimes, if they're not, if they're doing fitness Pilates, that's a whole nother story, but if you're doing Pilates with intention to maybe rehab or get stronger, or it's just very traditional Pilates that you're doing, you're going to see things move very, very slowly. And sometimes people look at Pilates and it's just like, oh, it looks so easy. Anyone can do that. But it's, it's more about the proper form and having the proper applied forces and progressive overload that goes very, very slowly. So I think that's kind of why it's perfect for like, you have a lot of mature population that it's very popular with because you're not put you're not putting on a whole ton of weight with stuff and you're not and there is a slower progression of that growth but it's because it's so focused on proper form and you really need to have and a skilled eye to see these things because I remember when I first started looking at people who just had my, my instructor or my mentor would say, do you see how she's doing that? See how her right hip is hiked up? And I would just sit there and I was just like, mm-hmm, yeah, could definitely do. And I never, and I was, I couldn't see it. But like after looking at so many bodies, you do start to see the imbalances and it's just like staring at you in the face. It's really something that you have to have like a trained eye for. Um, but now I can kind of spot it now and I'm like, okay, that right hip is a little bit more externally rotated than your left one. And you're dropping this one down. You're activating your, you drop your shoulders. Like, there's all these different things that you kind of see and like look at those patterns, but it really does take a skilled eye to see that and someone who's willing to be like, you know what, we need to take you way back to the foundation. We don't even need any weights because honestly, in my, in my experiences that like, you really don't need, like I I've gotten myself stronger. I don't know the last time I've stepped into a gym and lifted something heavier than like 30 pounds. And that's just my principle with like, but I'm just saying like, you can do so much with very little load if you're really activating the muscles the right way and finding that proper form. Yeah, I agree 100%. 100% Cassidy. All right, guys. So we're switching gears here a little bit. I wanted to pull up some things on um, Instagram. I am continually sending Trevor stuff and asking him what he thinks about something. So we were talking about a little bit about this. Number three here, activating a muscle is the same thing as strengthening. And I did not know this, you guys. Trevor is an Instagram troll because... Um, I'll let you take it away from here. You let me know, Trevor, when you want me to scroll down and reveal to everyone the troll that you have you've been. Yeah, I mean, you sent this to me, and, and I saw number three, and I was just like, because I think the uh, the point was um, this was the major myths in Pilates that activating is the same as strengthening, and then they basically said here they agree that muscle strengthening is mechanical load, not activation. So, uh, yeah, for me. The comments just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. So I threw, <laughs> threw this out here as I, I hated it so much. So for me, we don't talk about, well, you can't strengthen a muscle that is inhibited. So this is all, all I preach all day long. You can't just load something. And we, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, 
you've got to be able to turn the muscle group on to actually strengthen. Like you would never want to load something that you can't effectively turn on. So I actually got a reply on this and uh, go ahead and let's pull up this reply because uh, maybe I can, I can send him the link to this because he's like, Oh yeah, here, here, here's the, here's the lovely kind of response. Everything needs to be um, evidence-based medicine. Where, where can you cite this? So he used to think the way I think, but now um, in particular, um, he wants an example in VMO in knee pain and glutes and low back pain. Well, we we kind of discussed a little bit in regards to the glute in low back pain. The the glute low back pain issue is like almost everybody, and this is this is the bane of my existence. I swear to God, guys, everybody who has low back pain who goes to a lot of these exercise therapists gets the clamshell exercise. And I just what like, is it about the clamshell exercise that you hate, Trevor? You've told me this so many times, and I've seen it on Instagram, and I know that it drives you insane oh whenever God. you talk so much ish on this clamshell exercise. Explain to everyone what the clamshell exercise is. So you're <laughs> laying on your side with your knees bent, and you lift one knee to and bring it up and down. It's, it's an isolated muscle uh, exercise to try to activate the gluteus medius, the muscle group that uh, helps you lift that leg out to the side. So when Cassidy herself, uh, her example was, I manually muscle tested that glute and it wanted to collapse. All of these exercise therapists are gonna be like, you have a weak glute and we need to get you some glute strengthening exercises. And right. that's so, 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 so wrong. So for me, now I already know, she can't turn this muscle group on how am I going to turn it on? I'm going to turn it on by turning it on? No, we, we got to get back to why it's not turning on. The why it's not turning on is truly a neuromuscular issue. So where's the neuromuscular issue? Well, you have to look. Not always is it going to be just as simple as doing a spinal rotation or gapping of the lumbar segment or pressure pointing the psoas muscle to try to give some space and stretching these muscle groups out to give space to it or some manual traction. But there's a million things you could do to figure out what's going to be effective to help this muscle group turn on and then give somebody uh, a glute strengthening exercise. The likelihood is, uh, number one, if you were to do a glute strengthening exercise, it wouldn't be clamshells to begin with because it is so fundamentally like easy for somebody who can actually hold their leg up that you're not really providing any type of impact. So if I'm, we'll just say 230 pounds, I wish. If I was 230 pounds, uh, and I was able to balance on one leg, how much force does that glute now have to uh, exert to be able to hold my body upright where it doesn't want to collapse? A ton, a ton. More than it would take for me to be in a sideline position lifting a portion of my leg through a small range of motion. Like, pick something better. Pick something better. I can't believe what a colossal waste of time a clamshell exercise is. I swear to Christ. So you really hate these clamshell exercises, but let's say someone does go through and they've done the different things that you just kind of mentioned. Um, I don't what we call them maneuvers or whatever, because it's a neuromuscular. And now they've solved that problem. You muscle test them again. It's significantly better. Is that sometimes all you need to do is to create some space for like the nerves to actually reach that muscle? Or is there sometimes where you're still testing is like, it's still like eight, like in my case, it was like 80 to 90%. Like I was back to equal to my other side. 
is there a case where you'd be like, okay, yeah, we didn't get as much out of that as we wanted to. You do need to strengthen the glutes. And then at what, and then what, what do you like to do for glute strengthening? Well, here, here's the other issue. Like we went through this and did just a quick, quick little, can I get some quick relief from what's going on? If we're mm -hmm. going in and we have an hour together or even 30 minutes together, the likelihood is now I can identify any other uh, inhibitions in and throughout the spine. So it could be as far as the cervical spine that I'm going to need to look to figure out if I can get that 80 to 90, 95, 100. So anywhere up and down that chain, as well as some of these muscle groups that could require some pressure point work or other things to alleviate kind of this uh, inhibition loop that's going on that's preventing you from activating that muscle. <clears throat> so now so your, your approach is really different where it's like basically, okay, spot a problem now spot another problem and then just keep working through the body till you're like, where this, I found this problem. Nobody looks, nobody looks because now it's like, I, in this guy's comment, Raphael Bender, and I, I, I appreciate it. It's this probably reason, one of the most reasonably respectful kind of responses that I get. Hey, can you give me some context on this? Yeah, sure. So um, they're saying that there's, Research is showing no difference in activation between people with and without pain and also no benefit of activation drills. And I love that comment right there because for me, like a ton of activation drills, like generally speaking, people who want to activate the glutes, they do these little booty bands, the loop, the loop bands, fit loop bands, and they start doing glute exercises. Well, mm -hmm. of course, that's not going to activate because we just discussed you can't strengthen an inhibited muscle and load doesn't activate muscle. So, which is counter to number three that's sitting right on our screen, right? They're saying, no, you just need load. You don't need load. Get out of here with that. Like, so I have a question then there that kind of raises something up. So like, let's say I'm trying to grow my glutes. Well, you keep using the glutes, right? Um, and I'm not, and I am progressively overloading and I'm like, the, the glutes aren't gluting. They're not growing. Nothing's happening here, but I'm able to take on more load. Am I now recruiting like poor um, compensatory movement patterns because maybe now I'm using like hamstrings or I'm, I'm doing something else to get through that same movement? Is that something that you'd see? And then does that lead to like increased risk of injury? 100% because now it's, it's oh, I see that I have more output. I can generate more power. If I had some level of measurement to see what kind of force production I can have through the movement, it's improved. But for me, I haven't seen actual gains, right? You, you're, not, you're not seeing the, the physiologic response of hypertrophy of the muscle. Could it be that A, we overloaded to begin with and now I'm living in compensation and I did find my hamstrings or I did find uh, thoracolumbar, I did lock out uh, my spine into an anterior pelvic tilt, and I'd actually begun to use my hip flexor to assist in a glute bridge, chances are good that that was the case. But first, yeah. you got to understand the physiology of muscle to begin with. The first six weeks of exercise is recruitment of muscle that you already have. You tend not to see hypertrophy in the first six weeks phase. You need to get at least to the 12-week phase of an exercise for you to start to see that you begin to plateau with that exercise. So how do I go uh, have I grown my glutes to the, the level that I want to in 12 weeks? Well, no, something else has to change. I need, need to either increase the load finally, but do it in a way that we're not overloading where we're dealing and living in compensation land. Gotcha. Not so other muscle groups. 
So kind of two takeaways, if I could summarize it, would be like less is more sometimes. And you got to be consistent with and stay with it for at, la- at least six weeks or more, you, more than that, right? 12, 12 minimum. 12, 12, 12 minimum. You got to stay consistent with it for three months before my glutes can grow. Oh, man. This is why I'm staying exactly the way I look right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'll well, take a BBL. <laughs> well, the other, the other thing is this. So... Um, there could be something that is inhibiting the activation of that muscle group as well. So for uh, the glute itself, its job is a hip extensor. So now we have to look at the hip flexor and identify because uh, is there something where this hip flexor is dominating that glute and preventing it from turning on? And how do I shut it up? Is there some manual hands-on techniques that I can do to quiet it down? Is there some manual lengthening and stretching that I need to do in that muscle group to see if I can keep it at bay? Stretching is probably going to be your least effective, but it's better than nothing. Uh, pressure point work is going to be a little bit better. Um, down-regulating your nervous system that's causing that fight-or-flight response in your body is probably going to be the number one thing that we can do. So just as we talked about, if we've got that fight-or-flight, if I'm under stress, right? Well, stressed people can't get big glutes. We'll just say that. Is that is that something that we can hashtag? This is a crazy topic to me. Um, and I think actually some of your most popular videos that have done really well are when you start talking about how you're down-regulating the central nervous system, like just how much the mind and the body are connected. Um, rewind, talk about that there. So <laughs> stressed out people can't grow their glutes. So if you see someone with a big, juicy booty man or woman, it's either a BBL or they are so zen, they have it all together. Like they have their life figured out is basically what I should assume. Juicy booty, well, life figured out. <laughs> that they might be depressed, but they just ate their way to a huge gas. <laughs> oh, that's funny. This is definitely gonna be a clip. But um, talk about that. Wait, why is it? Okay, so you're saying stretching. Okay, so I'm thinking this is probably me. Like, I know I have really tight hip flexors. My glutes don't always fire the way that they need to. I do have to have you constantly do manual adjustments to me to actually feel, get some relief and pain. And I'm, I'm probably thinking I do stretch out. I'm super flexible. Like, I could do a scorpion i could put my hip my head behind my foot behind my head so flexibility you were like that's probably going to be the least one i do foam roll a little bit i could do a little bit more of that um but you're saying most people actually have the problem of they need to down regulate their nervous system what is happening here so the same thing that we talked about with that thomas hannah kind of response is we have that reflexive response right we get into what they call that red light reflex i flex flex right i i round the shoulders because my my pecs are tight. I lift. I get into this kind of protected phase. I lower my body and my hip flexors are going crazy to help protect myself for fight or flight. I am completely in the sympathetic nervous system right now. And if my hip flexors are always on, what we're getting is what? Reciprocal inhibition. The front part of my muscle is on. The back part of my, my joint doesn't want to turn on. The front part of the joint going crazy. Back part weak inhibited. So we got to figure out how do I get to a point where I can actually release the hip flexor, whether that be manually or however that needs to happen. So I can help put things into from a sympathetic to a parasympathetic nervous system state. And now that hip flexor is going to relax. And now I should have in theory now, right? A better activation of my glute. So why don't we give that a shot? 
it's also interesting to me how there is kind of like a loop or it's a it's a circle almost. So it's like uh, maybe you can answer this. Is it the body that then will affect the brain or the brain that affects the body and it like goes back and forth? So like, let's say now I fix myself and I'm now in a posture of someone who has a down regulated nervous system. Now will my like will my mind and body kind of respond to that? Like, does, so I guess that my question is kind of like, you know, they say that people who like smile, even if they're not happy, they get happier and like vice versa is the same principle for the body. So if like I'm in a scared position, my body's and my brain is going to be like, oh, we're, we're supposed to be scared. We're supposed to be scared. Or like how, how did those kind of tie into each other? percent Because I mean, people talk about getting manual therapy or massage for depression, for anxiety, for other things, because you actually, that, that sense of physical touch is actually effective in helping your body uh, down-regulate the nervous system. You start to get a lot of these um, kind of uh, uh, histochemical responses that help your body um, manage a lot of these issues. All right. So, Trevor, one thing I want to talk about here is neutral spine is safer. So a big principle in Pilates that they're always preaching to people is like, find neutral spine, posterior pelvic tilt, anterior pelvic tilt, and come back to your neutral spine. And like finding neutral spine is like, the one thing that we're always taught to look at, and I've kind of always thought, like, is it really that important that patients, clients find a neutral spine position? Or is it more important that people are able to just find different ranges of motion? Um, and I think, and I'm, I was kind of just like, how much does this matter? Again, so in your opinion, what do you think? I mean, this is one that I can actually get behind because like this this post was specific to what are the myths and neutral spine being safer. I mean, it's safer, sure, for, for some context. Like what we want to avoid is just what your resting uh, spine is, is in any kind of extreme, a hyperlordosis or a big massive curve or constantly sitting flexed or kyphotic through the, the shoulders or even in the lumbar spine. We, we don't want kind of extremes, but the bottom statement is perfection, truly. So you want to, you want to be able to have capacity and capability to move your body through a variety of movements. So uh, you don't want to be stuck in this little box of neutral spine while we're doing exercises. We want to be able to explore and have the ability and capacity to be able to tolerate stresses regardless of what's thrown at you because I don't know. Anything can happen. You want to have the, the the capacity to be able to handle whatever's thrown at you. Whatever life throws at you, you want to be able to eat that up. It's not just a, oh, you know what? I haven't done anything for a very long time, and now I went out on a Saturday, and now I'm, I'm busted up. I, I'm, I'm two weeks just you know not being able to do what I want to do. We don't want that. We want to be yeah. able to have the capacity to live our lives to to its fullest, right? So, yeah, I think um, you you mentioned a little bit like I know we talked about like the knees over toes guy um, on like social media, Instagram. And then I also feel like there's kind of um, a, a shift in movement practitioners to almost kind of a little bit of like fear mongering for people to like, oh, you can't move like this or this is an improper movement. And it's like there is some truth to like um compensatory movement patterns but also it's like don't you want your body kind of just be able to move functionally um and like how how do you kind of balance that with your patients and encouraging them to move properly right. but um yeah well i think there's two movements there's that where it's you don't, you don't want to move wrong make sure we're doing everything correctly but i think there's also uh, another vein that's the anti-fragile movement which is more like the knees over toes guy where you're getting like 
the advice was always, oh, keep that knee behind your toes because it's going to be less stress to your kneecap. Well, is that reasonable if we're really going down and hiking and, and getting your body into certain specific positions where it's a little bit awkward? No, you want to be able to have the capacity to do things without beginning to break down. Is that something when um, you're in extreme pain or the joint is vulnerable that you may want to avoid these triggering uh, uh, positions that are going to cause you a whole lot of stress and potentially compromise your joint. Sure, that might be good advice, but I think it got so over overrun to like, oh, be safe always. Well, now you're going to lose the capacity to do those things in the future because you never stressed your body into that movement. So for me, it's like I would probably lean more toward the the anti fragile kind of side of of things when we start saying, well. That's that's all well and good that we've gotten a baseline fundamental. Now, do you want to go beyond that? Is there something that we want to do to try to bulletproof you, to try to extend uh, uh, your ability to move later into your life? Well, then maybe we need to push you in a different way. Yeah. Make it make sense, people, guys. Um, I definitely agree with everything you're saying, Trevor. And honestly, it sounds like sometimes maybe we're just making things too darn complicated for us. Um I definitely feel like I do that sometimes as well. But that, um, we've covered a lot of stuff today. Trevor, do you have any final statements that you'd kind of like to say? I know we kind of jumped around with a bunch of little topics here. Uh, I think you've inspired me. You mentioned kind of all these clickbaity type things, and I'm going to I'm gonna start clickbaiting a lot of people into into my belief system, hopefully. So we'll, we'll see what uh, what kind of uh, things that I can put out to, to help inspire people to click, to learn the, the types of things that... I want you guys to know because I think there's a, just a lot of trash out there. Uh, a lot of people who just, I think they, they struggle to put the bigger picture together. They really do think yeah. if we can, we can help, uh, well, not just practitioners, but patients. For me, it's like, I'm torn. Like I want to help practitioners, but you know, my passion is, is with the people who are in pain right now. So I want to make sure that these people are getting into the hands and getting information it's going to be a lot harder to, uh, and it's so bizarre. My, my profession is there. It's like the, the old neighbor who's stuck in his ways. who just doesn't want to want to change. I, I really see my profession is it's, it's getting, <laughs> it's getting hard to try to see people who that want to have an open mind and learn and, and figure some things out or listen to another perspective. It, they're sticking their heels and digging their heels in and saying, this is the way it needs to be. And, uh, that's a fight I don't want to have. It's 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 irritating. I, I would rather help the people who need the help. Yeah. You heard it here first, guys. Coming to a city near you, Trevor, the internet troll. <laughs> <laughs> um, you guys need to keep a lookout for him in all the comments. Um, he's probably going to go buck wild and just coming after all these movement practitioners. No burner and accounts. Telling them that they need to change their ways. No, huh? no burner accounts. You'll know it's me. Yeah, he, 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 you really do. It's, it, it's up him. You guys saw in the, if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, you can see his icon on, um, and what he looks like. So you can look out for the baseball player, but, um, I'm going to wrap it up and we're going to kind of roll into some other like clinic updates that we have. So we have a promotion this month. Um, December. We're in the month of December guys. And there's a few days left before Christmas. You guys need a last minute Christmas present. If you are a patient of ours, you're 
family member is a patient of ours or they've never been a patient of ours and they want to be and they want to start taking their health seriously. You know that their New Year's resolution every year is something health related. Okay, that's the same thing with me. I'm calling myself out here. But you know what the perfect gift would be? Give them a gift card to form and function. You don't even have to know what they want to do here with us. You don't have to buy them a package. You don't have to buy them a pillow. No, just get them a gift card. And for every gift card purchase, it is going to come with either a free cold laser session, a free assisted stretch session, or you can just do 10% off of any gift card purchase of $50 or more. You guys, don't miss out on this. That's free. That's literally free money, okay? You buy $45 worth, you get $5 off. That's 50% there, $50. You get it for $45. Make it make sense. This is, be, come on, we're in hard economic times. This is the right choice. Also, guys, we did just bring back on sports massage. Um, Trevor, when is our sports massage? We're opening it up on Monday, Wednesday, 4 to 7. Is that right? That's right. Awesome. And then so far, we also have a product of the month. The product of the month we wanted to kind of highlight is going to be IntelliSkin. We were talking a lot about posture today. Trevor, tell us a little bit about IntelliSkin. What the heck is this thing? So IntelliSkin has been around for a good hot minute and it's a, a product that I have and I've used and I've recommended for a good long time. IntelliSkin uh, very much uh, has this internal fletching system within the garment that actually will cue your posture. Why I don't like a lot of the oval eights and these kind of straps is that it pulls you into a posture and forces you to actually shut those muscle groups off. For this, I want that cueing because I want to teach those muscle groups to turn on to help support you and stand tall. So truly, that's what IntelliSkin does is it cues you, helps you educate your muscles to put yourself into a proper position. Love it. Love it. We don't want the easy way out, guys. You don't want to be wearing none of those posture devices that just prop you up and hold you up and you look really nice. But the second you're out of them, you have no muscles. You are super weak. They're going to leave you off worse than when you put them on. So don't even bother with them. Look up IntelliSkin. It's great. They have cute styles, cute bras for women. I love all their stuff. Um, and then now we're kind of rolling into our staff spotlight. So guys, this year we actually brought on two new staff members. I hope you guys have had the pleasure of meeting them. This is Ace and Nick. They are our clinical aides. Just wanted to give them a little bit of a shout out. They've been crushing it all freaking year that they've been with us. So wanted to give them a huge props. Like we love what you're doing. They are connecting with all of our patients. These are Guys, they are going to be your future DPTs, so make friends with them, especially if you're injury prone, because you will probably be seeing them and you get to be in their wonderful hands one day. Um, but we wish all of our students and all of our staff members well as they wrap up the end of their semester. All of our kids, all of our clinical aides, they're super smart. I'm never worried about them. They're passing all their classes. Don't worry. We would never hire anyone who doesn't know their stuff. They're super passionate about working with us and working with our patients. So we just want to say thank you guys so much for being a part of our team. And um, Trevor, anything else before we kind of wrap up this video? We got to an hour. Got it. Well, I will say uh, when you mentioned these guys will be your DPTs, uh, they came in uh, to cover our last PT aide who is already in PT school now. So when you say they will be your future PT, uh, PTs, that is 100% the case because we've moved uh, quite a few of our uh, former employees on to bigger and better things in the PT profession. So uh, that is facts that you're speaking right there. All right. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you guys come and listen to our next episode. I'm going to say it right now. We're going to get 12 episodes out next year. In the year of 2024, we're going to be hitting them hard. Hopefully, you can have me on another episode if this one does really well and it's not super annoying to hear my voice. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, hope to be joining you back, Trevor. Thanks so much for letting me do a little podcast takeover. Um, other than that, have a good one. And remember, guys, stay in the game.